Well, Mary and I are glad to be back at Hoffman Town, and um, appreciate John making mention of Mary speaking yesterday. And uh, I, I said this to someone else, but it's, it, it is the gospel truth. If preparation results in good delivery, she was awesome because she was well prepared. And uh, and I, I, yeah, I told her I'd try to get her a round of applause when I got up here, and I'm. It was a joy for her to get to speak to the ladies yesterday, and I hope she was a blessing. I know, I know that she was, and uh, we're grateful to be serving you today. And, um, you know, I, I, I missed a couple of weeks and uh, missed it. I will just tell you, miss being here with you and the, uh, and the folks that make up Hoffmantown Church. And I know you had some good preaching, uh, but now I'm back home, and so let's get after it. What do you say? <laughs> you know, one of the things, yeah, yeah let's, we're clapping today, aren't we? One of the things we've been doing is looking at some of the critical aspects of the church. As you remember, we talked about in Matthew 16 where Jesus declared the promise of the church. Peter made the great confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And upon that statement, upon that rock, upon that truth, I will build my church. And then we went over to the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, and we, we looked at the preparation for the launch of the New Testament church as Jesus had commanded his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem and they were praying in one accord. And then we see also, we saw this together, the process of how this early church would make decisions. They had to replace Judas with a, a new apostle. And so they indeed, they said, here's what we got to have. We got to have someone who had been involved in the ministry of Jesus, but also had experienced a resurrected Christ. And they, through that process, made the decision that Matthias would be the replacement for Judas. Then we came to Acts chapter 2. Peter preached at Pentecost. And as you well know, he preached that powerful and prophetic word of God. He gave his appeal, and 3,000 responded, were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that glorious day, the church was established. And soon they established some priorities, we read in Acts 2.42, as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and prayer and the breaking of bread. So now following the narrative of the book of Acts, coming to chapter 4, Luke records how we had a generous giver and how that these gifts that were being given by the church were keeping people from being destitute. And it says they had things in common, and everyone contributed as they were able. And really in chapters 4 and 5, we read two stories of personal giving. One was positive, and one was tragic. The first was a, a, an example that the Bible records, a man whose name was Joseph. But he was known as Barnabas because he was son of encouragement. He was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. He owned some island property. He sold it, brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Barnabas proved to be a faithful giver. He had a lot of other admirable traits. You follow reading in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, and he is one worthy of our consideration. Also, we're introduced then to transition to chapter 5 that we have a negative example. You remember who I'm talking about, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. We're told as well, not unlike Barnabas, they sold their possessions, 
but they kept back some of the proceeds and then lied not only to Peter, but also the Holy Spirit. And so first we see Ananias lied and he died, collapsed. The young men carry him out to his grave. And next, within minutes, it seems that she as well, Sapphira, came in. She lied and she too died. And they both were taken and placed in their grave. And here's what the next verse says. And great fear came upon those who had heard of that fateful judgment. So here we find a good example and we find a negative example. And so today I'm preaching a message on financial faithfulness. Now I'm not suggesting if you're not faithful in your giving that God's going to kill you today. So don't get me wrong. As, as I heard a preacher say one time, if God still dealt with everyone the way he did with Ananias and Sapphira, every church would need a, a, a graveyard within a, a small reach of the church. And so I, I'm not saying that in any regard, but I'm telling you, this is, this is what happened in the Bible, okay? So now I'm going to take us to Proverbs chapter 3, to some wisdom literature. And I'm going to unpack two verses with you today as we talk about this theme of being a faithful giver. Please stand on and reading God's Word today. As you know, Solomon was the wisest and the wealthiest man in the entire world, and he shares some insight. But not just his insight, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he tells us how we can honor God in our giving. You see it on the screen. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Your translation may say possessions. Actually, if the King King James, I remember, right, it says, with your substance, with the first fruits of all your crops. Secondly, then your barns will be filled with plenty or overflowing, and your vats or your presses will brim over, will burst out, it says, with new wine. Lord, help us to see the promise of your word. Help us to understand that you call us to be found faithful. As Mary spoke about to the ladies yesterday, in all facets of our life, help us to be found faithful. And certainly including in that, uh, inclusive of that is how we handle the things that you've blessed us with. The possessions, our money, our wealth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Stay with me today. We'll move real quick through this text of Scripture. Let's begin with what I'm calling God's command. It's in verse 9. It begins by saying, honor the Lord. Now, we can all agree that we're to be about the business of honoring the Lord. I hope you're trying to live a life that's God-glorifying and God-honoring. You say, but what does that look like, Pastor Steve? And I say to you, I'm glad you ask. Because it all really begins with faith. What's it say in Hebrews eleven six? 6? But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to uh, him must believe that he is God and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It says in John's Gospel, chapter 6, this is the work of God to believe on one that he has sent. So God isn't honored by simply the amount of money that we might donate. God's not necessarily honored by the benevolent heart and Uh, 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 just a a giving of a gift, but it is reality when you act in faith and you act in faith with a surrendered heart. I recently read Bill Gates, uh, founder of Microsoft, has given $58 billion to charity. 
primarily health and education foundation, foundations. And, and while we would all agree that indeed is a noble, uh, needful gift of generosity, the problem with the gift is it's simply not given with a heart of faith. And I'm telling you today, a God-honoring gift is birthed out of a heart that believes. So notice with me right here in this chapter, we really find the genesis of how we honor God through faith. You only got to back up a couple of verses, and you know this verse well, beginning in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And I'm saying to you today, if we're not living by faith, acting volitionally in faith, we're never going to give as we should because I, can I tell you, can we agree on this? Selfishness is our propensity. We default to being selfish people. Our nature is to be self-centered, self-focused, self-righteous, and it always leads to the same destiny, and that is selfishness. But when our heart gets transformed by the grace and goodness of God, the Bible says then all things become new. And we can, by faith, have a new heart, a giving heart, the heart of God. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. We're to be givers. You know, I think about in my own life, uh, 20, uh, 24 years old, I made a life-changing commitment to Christ. Looking back, not that I hadn't been to church countless times over those first 23 years, I do not remember giving one dollar to church. You know why? God didn't have my heart, but he got my heart at 24 years of age. And I remember I walked down that aisle and I stood before my home church, First Baptist Church of Aid, Oklahoma, and I was glad to stand for Jesus. He had changed me. And I was happy to say, I knew enough to know this, part of this commitment that I had just made was relative to my pocketbook. And I had a tithe in my coat pocket. And after they presented me, they passed the offering plate, and I was able to put a tithe in the offering that day. And I did so in a rightful, prideful way. I was getting in on God's economy. I was willing to be obedient at the point of giving. Can I tell you the reason that we probably hadn't given before is the reason most people don't give. We couldn't afford it. We didn't have any extra money. I mean, we were hand to mouth. We're just a young couple, a couple of little boys trying to, to find our way. But you know what? When my heart got right, I, I did have that money after all because God had my heart. And I'm telling you, until God has your heart, you'll always find excuses on why you cannot give. And I'm happy to say, ever since I was 24 years old, that's been about 9 or 10 years now. Ever since then, <laughs> or something like that, I'm just round numbers. But, but by the grace of God, I've been able to give. And, and we came to be a part of this church, and guess what? We brought our tithe with us. And I'm just telling you that because here's where the tithe belongs, the place you worship. This is the place we come corporately to worship with you. Of course we're going to bring our, our gifts to God. We want to get in on what he's doing at this, at this wonderful church. We want to be a blessing. And we need the blessing that God has for us that only comes through obedience and faithfulness. And I'm telling you, a right heart affects the stewardship of our life. 
And if you get your heart right with God, things will change. I think about in several applications, it'll change with your time. It, your calendar will change when your heart's live, being lived in right relationship with God. We all get the same amount of time. We don't all have the same amount of money, but we all going to get 168 hours this week. And we get to steward every one of those hours. A lot of them were asleep, of course, and, and uh, not stewarding that. I, I wish I'd have got a little more sleep, matter of fact, myself last night. But uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I am glad to get what I did. But the point, my point is this. Listen, we have a responsibility with, with, the, with what God's given to us in our time. Because you know as well as me, the number one excuse, if you ask somebody in church who's, a, who, who, who's got a lot of things going, hey, would you, would you serve in this capacity? They will eventually get to if they're not going to serve. I, 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 I just don't have the time. The truth of the matter is we all got the same amount of time. So what we're going to choose to do with the time is how we steward the time given to us. What's the Bible say? We've got to redeem the time because the days are evil. So we need to buy back these opportunities that God's given to us, and we do that with a transformed heart, and we say to the Lord, I'm willing. Use me the way you see fit and, uh, and have an attitude that says yes to the opportunities God gives you. But not only our time, we, we also have to steward our talent. Here's what I know. Some of you here today are not utilizing the talent that God has given to you. You're not using the gifts nor the giftedness that you have been given to by the good hand of God. You know what's it saying? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I'm talking about God-given talents. They belong to God. You know, every believer receives spiritual gifts at the time of our conversion, not to be used for personal benefit, but to be used in serving in the body of Christ. And then there's God-given talents that some of you have. Some of you are, are gifted at, at music, and, 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 you can, and you can sing better than the rest of us for the glory of God, but you're not even participating in the choir. Come on. Get up there. Get involved. Get connected with whatever giftedness that you have. I mean, tell you, we need, we need people that are willingly saying yes to the Lord and, and, and whatever it is that, that, that God has gifted you, countless things, but also the spiritual giftedness that you can work spiritually in the body of Christ. But actually, this text is not talking about time or talent, but it is talking about this other T, and that is the tithe, and I want to mention that today, which is the biblical admonition for us to give faithfully to the Lord. We're to give our tithes. The Old Testament law called it uh, uh, that we're to give one-tenth of, uh, 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 of our money, our salary, our, uh, our possessions to the Lord. Malachi 3.10, give all your tithes, bring them to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and prove me and see at this point that I won't open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that will be unable for you to believe. So the text is saying, this is the Old Testament law. Of course, you look at Matthew 23, Jesus says this, you ought to tithe. But also, you, you can't forget these other weighty matters of, of, of kindness and love and those kind of mercy and those kind of things. But the tithe is an expectation for the believer. And so that should be the inter, uh, the, really the introductory level of our, our giving, that we give a tithe to the Lord. So notice with me, the tithe is to be given to the house of God. That's what he says in Malachi 3. 
So I want to make mention two reasons why you should make your church the priority of your personal giving. The first thing is this, because of the institution the church is. The institution it is. The church, we know it as the body of Christ. What Jesus once was, we have become. The Bible says Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for the church. Fifteen times we're told in the Bible that, that the church is the body of Christ. And we're told we're the building and he's the foundation. That we're the bride and he's the bridegroom. There's this connectedness we have with Jesus and we meet together and we, we're reminded once again that we belong to him and we are what he once was as his body on this earth. Let me assure you, there's a lot of good parachurch ministries that are wanting your giving. Can I tell you, your tithe belongs to the Lord and that's the church. I will just tell you, me personally, I give to several mission organizations. One in Romania on a monthly basis, Nicaragua, Sudan, Peru. I've given to the Navigators, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've given to Advice and Aid Pregnancy, the Restoration House, on and on and on. Plus, you, you, you don't pastor church without countless people in your congregation going on mission trips. And the first, the, the first person they send their letter to a fundraising, guess what, is the pastor. So I've given to a lot of those as well. But I'm simply telling you this, those are to be not part of what we give to the church, but as we give sacrificially to God. I want you to know I've given my life, my love, and my money to the local church because it's God's house and because it's the command of the scriptures. And I've tried to live my life, and I know many of you are with me, in line with what God's word teaches us and stay faithful to it. So I would challenge you at the point of being faithful and giving to the institution that the church is, the body of Christ, loved by the Lord. It's the place that you worship. It's the blood-bought, Christ-redeemed church of the living God. It's a great place. It's the church. But not only because the institution church is, but let me suggest another reason you ought to give to the local church. Because of the distribution that the church has, the distribution that the church has. Here's what I'm telling you. When the church does its ministry, when it distributes its support, it's all done in anonymity. You put your offering, uh, as you did today, in the offering plate that came by. Guess what? That check no longer has your name on it. It's anonymous. And the ministry that goes out of this local church is done in the name of of the ministry of this church. Can I tell you, you give to most 501C3 uh, organizations, most of them will give you something for your gift. Uh, if you give enough, maybe you get a plaque for, for your wall, maybe something you can show to others that you've given to them. You give enough money, you can get your name on a building, I'm just telling you. Matter of fact, you give enough to the athletic fund at Kansas University, you can sit at midcourt in Allen Fieldhouse at all of their basketball games. I've got some friends who've given that much money, and I'm glad to get their tickets every now and then, but that's not the point. <laughs> I, I got a huge surprise. It's been a few months ago now. 
Uh, I wish I'd have known what was coming down because Mary wasn't with me, and, and it, I wish she could have enjoyed the moment with me. But we, I went to the dedication of the new student center at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And, and, and uh, so I'm just celebrating that with the fact that uh, the seminary's been important to us, and we've been givers over there for, for a lot of years. But what they did in their chapel service was recognize seven huge givers that had made uh, big contributions to this new student center. And, and suddenly, Dr. Allen, who's going to be preaching here, a matter of fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, the, the president of Midwestern Seminary, called me to the front uh, of, of the chapel. And it seems, and I learned as I'm walking up this, uh, the aisle to come up there to figure out what he's calling me up there for, I thought he saw me talking and he was getting on to me. But he was actually calling me up there to recognize me. And, and it seems that we had a friend that uh, had given a big six-figure gift and didn't want uh, the presidential dining room put in his name. So he wanted it to be put uh, in Mary and I's name. And so with his gift, we've got the name on the presidential dining room at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so I, I was, one, I was shocked. But secondly, I, I thought, what, what a nice gift to do that. Now, I'm never going to be in a position to give a six-figure gift to anybody. We've been faithful to giving over there, you know, uh, as, as best we could over the years. But certainly was, was blown away by that. But all I'm simply saying is this. That's what happens. That's the way organizations outside the church do their fundraising. But I'm telling you, the distribution the church has, it doesn't go in your name. You're not going to give a gift here. I, I, by the grace of God, I had the privilege of getting a few six-figure gifts while I was pastoring in Kansas City. But let me tell you, I didn't say when they gave me those checks, let me see if I can't get your name on that, that, uh, uh, that gymnasium down there. They gave it, and it lost its identity, and ministry was done through that local church in the name of Jesus. And they didn't get the credit. They got the credit with God, but God got the glory and the gifts. I'm simply saying you, it's a selfless gift to give your tithe to the church. Oh, you'll be a blessing in your faithfulness to God, but I'm telling you, we're going to do ministry, and it's not going to have your name detached. It's going to have the name of Jesus and we pray to that end. So I need to move quickly. That's God's command. Secondly, let's talk about our commitment, okay? In verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy money. And then he says, the first fruits of our increase. We learn that God's desire, as we well know, is to have our best, to have priority in our lives. And it's called a first fruit offering. And you remember back in Exodus 23 that we are commanded to bring uh, to the house of the Lord our first fruit offering. So the first harvest of the season, the olive oil and the grain and the wine, uh, all of the produce would be consumed, would not, ours would not be consumed until we'd given our part, our first part, to the Lord. So in other words, God is saying, I want your first I want your first portion. I want your best. I don't want your leftovers. I don't want a mere tip of the cap. I don't want something you don't want. God wants our best. And so it's communicated in this simple principle of first fruits giving. I, I, I listen to uh, talk radio a lot. I remember <clears throat> sometime back, I, I think it was on KMBZ in, in Kansas City, but not positive, but but this lady called in, and, and they had 
some kind of food expert on there. And somebody had brought up the question about how long can you leave something in the freezer and it still be edible, you know? And, and so, you know, people making some guesses and telling stories. And this one lady calls in and she said, uh, I've got a turkey that I've, I've had in my freezer uh, probably at least a couple of years. Uh, do you think that, that, that thing would be all right to eat? Uh, he goes, well, I can't say for sure, but... Uh, I probably wouldn't suggest that you eat that. To which she said, okay, I'll just take it and give it to the church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Get some salmonella poisoning going on at the church. That would be a good thing. I thought about the picture of that turkey being put on a table. It probably looked like that Clark Griswold turkey. You remember in vacation, <laughs> that, that thing that was pretty benign looking. Obviously, God wants our best, not our leftovers. Isn't that what Malachi said in chapter 1 before he tells us about the tithe? God says, don't bring your lame, sick, or blind animals to me as a sacrifice. Would you give that to your governor? Would he be pleased with that? Don't you understand? Here's what God wants. He wants his name great among the nations. And you're profaning it by your despicable offerings. Hey, listen, we all know the first command that God wants and communicated through Moses, he wants our best. He wants our first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He wants our priority. He wants first place in our life. And when our priority is the Lord Jesus and our heart belongs to him, guess what? We'll be found faithful, not, o- not only in our finances, but in the responses that we have. I wonder, would you say with me today in your own heart the prayer of the psalmist, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name, and I will praise you with all of my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. This morning we're talking about giving our resources. It's to be a God-honoring thing. It's to bring glory to God. But secondly, it's expected priority that God yearns for us to honor him by being givers, and it begins with a surrendered heart. Let me tell you this quick story. I did, I've done five capital campaigns to, build, to buy land and build buildings over my 26 years at Lenexa Baptist. They were wonderful times of celebration, honestly. By the grace of God, $26 million, and when I retired, was able to be debt-free. People were good givers. The last uh, campaign that we had to build a sanctuary that now we've been worshiping in for 10 years, we had great banquet. People gave sacrificially. About two months after that, there was a lady, probably mid-70s, could have been a little older than mid-70s, but called the church and said, I, could, I, could I come by and see Pastor Steve? I said, of course. It's always open door. And she came in and she sat down. Her name was Charlene. And, and she, she was carrying a, a, a brown paper sack in her hand. And uh, I said, hey, Charlene, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Pastor. She said, you know, I didn't get to come to the, to, to the banquet uh, where everybody made their pledges to the church. But I, I just wanted you to know, I, I, reason I, go, I, didn't have any, I didn't have any pledge to give, didn't have any money. But she said, you know, last month, the guy who takes care of the upkeep of the cemetery over by where I live, he, he was having some issues, and they needed someone to clean the cemetery. And I did that, picked up the limbs, mowed the grass, all that was necessary. 
and I've got that money. Would you, would you receive this? Would you accept this as my pledge to the new building? Can I tell you, <laughs> we did have some six-figure gifts, but there was none more precious than a sack of money, $240 worth, that Charlene brought to my office that day. You know, God celebrates giving a widow's might. And I'm preaching to a bunch of people who's got more than $240 and has got more than a widow's might. But I'm telling you, to the degree that God's blessed us is the degree that you and I are to be found faithful. Let me move. About to wind up. Stay with me. God's command, our commitment. Now let's talk about the consequences. Because we get, we get the principle, now we get the results of being faithful. Honor the Lord with your money, first fruit of your increase, so your barns be filled with plenty, and now your presses will burst out with new wine. So Solomon declares your faithfulness in this aspect of stewardship has some dividends attached. Here's the deal. When you and I choose to be a blessing, we are people who get blessed. It's that simple. You'll find this principle throughout the Bible. It's the law of the harvest. What we give, we receive. What we reap, we sow. But we only reap after we sow, and we even reap more than we sow. That's the agrarian, tr agrarian truth of that. I don't know much about farming. I, I, well, you can get all I know about farming in a thimble and uh, have room left over for a gallon of water. I don't know much about it. But I know this. You can't plant an apple seed and get a tomato. It just doesn't work that way, does it? Matter of fact, if you plant an apple seed, you don't get one apple. You get an apple tree. You get more than you invest. And if you don't plant any seeds, you don't ever get anything. That's the law of the harvest. But here's where I'm going with this. It's not just true farming. It's true in your finances. What did Paul say in that wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 talking about our personal giving? He says, but this I say to everyone who's among you. He said, you reap what you sow. He who sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Every man's purpose in his heart, let him give. You give a little, you're only going to get a little. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Whatever measure you give is the measure you receive. And, and let me just tell you, we don't give to God for what he can do to us. We give to God for what he's already done for us. Are you with me? Not what we can now get by giving. We give as an expression of our worship for what he's done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say in Romans 5? For when we were without strength at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For surely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, I'm not talking about anything about the prosperity gospel here. But I am telling you what the Bible says and that you and I are to be found faithful and we're going to keep on getting back what we give away. True in your speech. What's it say in Proverbs 15? One, two. Soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You start giving some good words away, see what you'll get back in return.
Jesus said it'll be true in judgment. Whatever measure you judge someone, you're going to be judged in that same fashion. But collectively, it's what he says in Galatians 6. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, he also shall reap. He who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap life everlasting. And I'm telling you, this principle of reaping and sowing is true in all of these aspects. So I quit with this. Hey, let's, let's just agree on some things today. Let's speak some good words to each other. Let's give some encouragement away. See if we don't find ourselves being encouraged. Let's give a little grace to someone. Rather than pointing a finger of condemnation, let's give a little grace. See if we don't find ourselves getting a little grace back. Let's practice some forgiveness. How about that? See if we don't get a little forgiveness in our own personal need. Let's start giving our resources. Let's seek to honor God with our life. Let's be found faithful. Let's let's be grateful to God that he's blessed us in such a way that we can give unto him for what he's done for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Bow your heads with me. Father, help us to be found faithful in all the various aspects of our life. Forgive us when we're stingy. Forgive us when we're tight-fisted. Forgive us when we think we really have ownership of whatever it might be when really you've told us we just steward it and we give an account for the way we steward the blessings that we know and have experienced. I pray today for those who even through the preaching of this message on stewardship, have found themselves with a hard heart. And instead of being, finding application and, and blessing in the preaching of the word, they've been indifferent. God, I pray that you would reach down and in your grace and mercy touch their life work and bring them to where they need to be I I pray that we would see evidence of people saying yes to their giving at the point of, of of more being given to the ministry of this church and Lord we can't do anything except what we can do with responsibility for ourselves And I pray that individuals today would say, I'm I'm willing. I'm going God's way. I believe what was preached today. I believe the Bible. And I'm willing to apply it in my life. I pray for that person who's here today that are this far away from you. They come to church out of sense of obligation. But there's a huge indifference to the truth of the gospel. They're living their life independent of their need for God. And I pray in your grace and mercy today that you would reach down in your love and draw them to yourself. 
thank you that when we're weary and heavy laden, we can find rest in our soul in our Savior. So, Father, this is your invitation. We pray that if there's any here that know you're not in the free pardon of sin, this would be their day of divine appointment. I pray if there's any needs, physical needs, financial needs, whatever the needs are that are here, I pray that they would respond in a public way, that we could pray and undergird them and help them and bear their burden with them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. David's going to lead us in this invitation hymn. We'll have several at the front willing to pray with you and pray for you, myself included. If you'd like to come, we won't be here very long. We're asking you to come while we sing. God calls. Come now.